Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day, so I am here with my co-host and hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm hopeful. It's generally been a good day. The European Super League is rapidly collapsing in in upon itself, and more importantly, we finally got a a just verdict in the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case. So things are looking up, hopefully steps in the right direction all around. Some accountability for once is certainly nice on the American police department murder front. It's, it's certainly refreshing and hopefully a sign of more things to come. And on that hopeful note, let's move on to the NBA draft and NBA draft prospects. So Last week, we did a deep dive breakdown of the top two prospects in this draft, in my mind, and now we're going to get into the rest of the top five. So as we've sort of been talking about over the course of the last month and a half or so, the top five of this draft class has pretty clearly separated themselves out from the rest of the group. So let's now go through numbers three through five. And starting at number three on my board, maybe number three, maybe number two on your board, but Evan Mobley out of USC. He's a seven foot big man with really great rim protection numbers and instincts. He's got a solid handle, especially for someone of his size and pretty good passing vision Really, really skinny, which obviously is not necessarily something that's going to be as much of a problem long-term as it will be short-term, but certainly his first year or so in the league, he's going to get pushed around a lot on both ends. But what are your thoughts on Mobley, sort of what we've seen from him this year, both at USC and then sort of going back into his high school film? He's just so smooth in every aspect of the game. And it's really impressive and something we really don't see from guys his size. And to go along with that, I just I absolutely love his decision making on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, he's just a natural athlete. He's a natural ball player and everything just kind of seems to come naturally to him. And it's pretty a pretty exciting thing when looking at big men prospects because it's pretty rare to get that you know um looking at top big man prospects in the last couple years there are always a one or two that are really right at the top of you know the 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 draft but they have these really 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 glaring flaws and i guess you could put strength down for mobley in that aspect but i i don't think he has that glaring flaw that a lot of these guys in the past years have and you know, when you look at the best players in the league, Anthony Davis, Jokic, Embiid, Towns, you know, Bam, you know, a lot of them are big men. And if you can get one of those legitimate franchise changing big men, I think it can really take your team in a different direction. With that said, the variance between them working out versus, you know, franchise changing guards working out seems to be quite a bit wider so there i i do think there is a little more risk going with mobley in that aspect but if if he does hit if he continues to add strength and that shot really develops like i expect it to um if all those things come along i i think his ceiling could be incredibly high you mentioned the lack of a glaring flaw and that i think is really the key for me i mean the thing about Evan Mobley as compared to, say, James Wiseman or DeAndre Ayton, you know, maybe he's not the same kind of ridiculous athlete that those two are, but he's still very athletic. But more to the point, you know, with James Wiseman in his high school film, it was a lot of him, you know, taking the ball up and dribbling it, but not exactly looking very good either with his handle or with the decisions that he would make when he had the ball in his hands. And Ayton wasn't ever really someone who was bringing the ball up in transition or even in the half court like Weissman occasionally did in high school and like Mobley did pretty frequently at USC and going back to his high school film. But the thing with Mobley is that, you know, the strength is, I think, a problem that pretty much every rookie big man except, say, I don't know, Zion is going to struggle with. Yeah, exactly. But 
you know, with Mobley, there's so much skill in so many different areas. You know, his jump shot looks really solid. He's got a great turnaround. He's got a jumper out to three-point range. His handle isn't exactly on the Kevin Durant level of seven-foot handles, but it's certainly a lot better than Wiseman and DeAndre Ayton were at at this age. You know, he was in the 91st percentile on offense per synergy, and he was above average in every single category except for posting up, which I think is very descriptive of his game overall in that, you know, the one sort of traditional big man thing of parking himself on the block and plowing through people, he doesn't have that now. He might not ever have that. You know, maybe he will if he adds 50, 60 pounds of muscle. But the important thing for me with evaluating Mobley is that everything outside of that is at such a high level that it makes me think that, you know, he will find a way to be successful in the NBA in a way that Wiseman wasn't really able to during his rookie season. And some of that is due to the weird fit with Wiseman in that Golden State offense and Golden State system. But given Mobley's skill set as a passer, as someone who can dribble relatively effectively, as someone who has a pretty versatile jump shot, it's harder to see him sort of not having an impact. Whereas with Aiton and Wiseman, if you're not running plays for them or finding a way to sort of make them successful, you know, they're not going to fit in as easily as I think Mobley will, even as a rookie. Yeah, and so, like, going back to his ball skills and, you know, he's comfortable with the ball he can create for himself, but he knows that that isn't really what the team needs from him, so... He's he never forces things. He never forces passes. He never forces bad shots. You know, he just he always plays within himself. And I know that can frustrate people because the you know, they question, oh, does he have that killer instinct? Oh, can he really take over the game? And, you know, maybe not, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because he's always out there looking to make the right play. And in the grand scheme of things, that's what you want from a guy. I know it's awesome when guys take over games late and go on, you know, 10, 15 point individual scoring runs. But when you have a guy out there doing that every night, it alienates the rest of their teammates. It creates for bad basketball. And a lot of the times it results in bad basketball and losing basketball. So the fact that he is out there and he may look passive, I I think that's, overblown and i think it's because he's out there making the right play and you know based on the strength i mean like you said what what teenage big man is an adonis i guess deandre ayton kind of was but and when you look at carl anthony towns coming out of kentucky and he didn't have great lower body strength and it's taken him some time to really that up and be able to hold his own and battle in the post and i i kind of envision a similar thing from Mobley where early on in his career he will get pushed around and he will have trouble moving guys but he's so skilled and has such a good finesse game that he'll be able to compensate for that and I guess finally on that front what encourages me a little more with his strength is that he's not afraid of contact he's not shying away from it so you know when a a shot goes up he's looking for someone to box out Um, he'll absorb back downs while playing defense he'll he'll attempt to put a shoulder into a guy so just because he doesn't have the strength doesn't mean that he's averse to contact and the fact that he's at this weight and playing through contact and playing physical I think is really really encouraging for you know the the type of player he is five six seven ten years from now So you brought up the offensive aggression thing, and that's something that we talked about with Mobley a little bit earlier, where I was certainly more concerned about that than you were. And I'm worried about that less now, just given that he did sort of turn it up in terms of his aggression and focus on scoring sort of down the stretch run of the season. But really, my only concern with Mobley sort of on the offensive aggression front is just that if he is looking to you know, pass or not be as aggressive offensively, you know, if he's scoring 15 points a game versus 25 points a game, when you're talking about the caliber of prospects sort of in the top five of this draft, 
I think that 15.9 rebound to block a game defensive monster Evan Mobley is still a very, very, very valuable player. But if he's going to cap out in that 15-ish point range, I think that limits his upside in comparison to some of the other guys in the top five of this class. So I think for the first few years, until he really gets more comfortable with the physicality of the NBA, I, I think he'll be on the, you know, the 14 to 18 points a game type of range. Um, but and you, you kind of touched on it where I, he, he has a well-rounded offensive game, but his real value comes defensively. And he is just an absolute savant on that end of the floor. And if, if I can get, you know, 18 to 20 points from my center while also getting, you know, all NBA defensive play from him on the other, other end of the floor, um, you know, how, how many centers in the league can you say can do that? Yeah, not many. And that sort of brings up another interesting question about his weight and size, which is just that I wonder how much bigger he should try and get because, you know, if he puts on 60 more pounds and is more of a stay-at-home rim protector drop coverage kind of player, you know, that's one thing. But if he can be someone who can switch out onto guys at least two through five for a little bit, I think that makes a huge difference for his defensive upside, even if, you know, maybe it means that he can't push guys around on the offensive end as much. But, you know, again, it's like he hasn't ever really been a post-up monster and part of that is due to his size which you know we're going to see in three or four years if he's getting better at posting guys up but i wonder if it might actually be better for him to you know obviously he needs to put on some muscle but you know maybe don't try and do the Giannis get absolutely ridiculously jacked thing maybe that slows him down in terms of perimeter defense i don't know but certainly the instincts on the defensive end are special and very clear you know just watching him on tape and i don't think he's going to be one of these guys that really bulks up like like we saw him be doing mainly i don't think he has the frame for it and he has really long legs and his shoulders aren't super wide like Aiton's are. Um, so I don't envision him becoming this, you know, Adonis. But since he has those high hips, you know, he, he does really need to strengthen the lower body. And that that's all I really care about is him steadily adding growth. I don't want him to come in to his rookie season, you know, with an additional 30 pounds of muscle because I don't think that's healthy development. And I think that'll lead to lower body injuries pretty quickly for him um but that ability to defend in space that agility his footwork his length is really really the special part about his defensive game and you know he's not going to be a guy that you want switching everything because you really don't ever want your center doing that but what he can do is switch when needed he can kind of you know they're, they're very different players but do stuff that we've seen Anthony Davis do on the perimeter where he pick and roll late in the shot clock. He can switch out. He can contest threes and recover. Um, he can fight over screens. He can play drop coverage. He can do a bit of all of it. And that having your big man be able to, or being able to throw just numerous defensive looks at your opponent because you have that uber versatile defensive center is extremely valuable and really keeps opponents on their toes at all times. So I've watched a lot of Nick Claxton, obviously not as much last year because he didn't play as much last year, but with Mobley, I can see some of that sort of Claxton level of defensive prowess where most rookies struggle mightily on the defensive end and Claxton's not a rookie anymore, but it's sort of a similar vibe in the sense that he's a little under seven feet, but incredibly athletic, very switchy, very mobile type of big that gets absolutely housed anytime a bigger defender tries to post up on him. So I could see that happening for Mobley very clearly as a rookie where he's someone who could be really versatile and useful in a switching scheme. And he's got better rim protection instincts and ability than Claxton but 
you know, I don't think he's going to be someone that you're just going to put under the goal and hope that he can block shots at the rim. Because if you do that, you know, the Joel Embiid's of the world are just going to shove him like 20 feet deep into the stands. But he clearly has the ability to be a effective switch defender basically right away. Yeah, and I, I like that point about the shot blocking because, you know, he's he's not like a guy like Isaiah Jackson who's going out there looking to swat every single shot. He is more picky. He ta- he has much better timing, and he's more selective with how he approaches it. He does an excellent job of staying vertical. He's an excellent weak side shot blocker, and when he r- rotates for that weak side block it's not every time it's not Hassan Whiteside going out there just chasing every block trying to pad his stats it's okay can't can I actually get this or if I leave is my guy just going to get an easy tip in he's you can see him processing all of this and he does a really good job of staying vertical absorbing contact and then going back up for a second jump um it's just a really unique defensive approach from, you know, a, a skinny center that we don't necessarily always see. And I, you know, just off the top of my head, I don't think there are necessarily a ton of guys in the league like him. So before we move on to the G League Ignite guys, quick guess at ceiling and floor and sort of how you view him as a prospect overall. So I'll go first. I said on the last podcast that I have him third in this class. And I think that there are many reasons to believe that he is a better prospect than James Wiseman or DeAndre Ayton, two guys who went higher than third in their respective draft classes. The floor with Mobley, I think, is just that he is a fifth starter type defensive slash three-point shooting center. You know, it's pretty easy to see him contributing to pretty much any NBA rotation. I doubt that he flames out entirely. But the reason that I have him third is that centers in the modern NBA are so fungible, and you have to be so special to really sort of raise yourself above that class of, oh, yeah, just another $5 million a year center. You know, if you can get Rashawn Holmes and Nerlens Dowell for $5 million a year, you have to really shine to be a center prospect that's worth taking in the top five. I think that Mobley is that, and part of that is because at the very worst, he'll be pretty effective, but with a three-point shot rather than without one. The ceiling, though, I mean, if he can get a little bit better on the ball, he's already a very good passer and dribbler for his size, but if he can get better in those two areas, he could have such a drastic impact on the offensive end of the floor, you know, not as a primary initiator, but even as a secondary initiator type that you know, I think he pretty clearly has all NBA upside. And if he can work on that handle and his passing skills to sort of be more of a focal point of an offense, you know, he could be someone that makes me regret very much having him at third in this class. Yeah. So I, I, I currently have him too on the updated draft guide coming out eventually. Um, he will be too. I, I go back and forth almost every other day between switching Mobley and Suggs. Um, And I see his floor as, you know, a solid two-way center. Um, You know, put that wherever in the rotation you want. Uh, I I see his ceiling as, like you said, an an all-NBA guy who's a defensive cornerstone, who can knock down threes, who can initiate in transition, who can play make out of the post who can do a little bit of everything um, on both ends of the floor. And the reason I have him at two is, you know, I, I mentioned it a little earlier, but when you can, if you can get one of those franchise altering big men, it can be massive swing in your contention chances. And I think the variance, the odds of him hitting that highest of high ceilings is, you know, I think the odds of that are worse than Jalen Suggs or maybe even Jalen Green hitting their true peak. But I think that peak for Mobley is higher and could be more impactful that it just it pushes him over the top. And 
you know, I, I, I generally don't like drafting big men early. I, I totally agree with your point where you can kind of piecemeal the that that position and the minutes for that position. And if you look at my draft guide outside of or past number eight, you know, you're not going to find another center until the second round. But when you have the chance to get someone at that position who can be uber talented and franchise altering, it's really hard to pass up. All right, let's move on to the G League Ignite guys, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga. So let's start with Jalen Green. And the strengths for Jalen Green are very, very obvious. He's a ridiculous athlete. And in the G League bubble, he showed really solid shot creation skills, you know, in terms of creating for himself off the dribble. You know, the step back jumper is better than probably everyone except your boy Trey Mann in this draft class. Oh, love Trey Mann. His jump shot, Green's jump shot, that is, he uses his athleticism pretty well on his jumper, in my mind, in that he gets pretty high up there. So, you know, even though he isn't a 6'8 type of wing, you know, in terms of how high he releases the ball, he's getting up there about as much as guys that are bigger than him. Man, though, there are a lot of reasons that I'm wary of Jalen Green as a draft prospect, and... I don't know. It seems like the consensus is that Kuminga is sort of the lowest of the top five guys on the totem pole, but I think that I would actually have Green at fifth just because it's very easy for me to see where he sort of flames out, whereas I don't think Kuminga is anywhere near as likely to flame out as Jalen Green. But what are your thoughts on Jalen and what we saw from him with the G League Ignite? Okay, so I'm much higher on Green than you are, apparently. I have him closer to Mobley and Suggs than I do to Kuminga. Um, I, so I, I, I have him listed at 6'6". Six, six. That seems tall. I feel like he's more 6'4"-ish. Yeah, I thought um, he was 6'5". Okay, and I, I think it was on ESPN or something. They had him at 6'6", six, six, 180-ish. Uh, so I, but he didn't seem that big. Um, anyways, absolute freak athlete, maybe the best in this class, uh, off the top of my head, probably it seems pretty safe. Um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the best player in this. Oh, I guess it, it would surprise me, but it, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that he is the best player from this class. You know, when we look back 15 years from now, um, really good athlete, really good rebounder for his size, um, excellent, excellent versatile scorer, and really, really good shot creator. Um, the the shooting mechanics need to be kind of reined in and have a little more consistency. I absolutely adore his at-rim finishing. I think his body control is impeccable. Uh, he invites contact. He bounces off of players. And that was something I really wasn't expecting from him, given his size. I was expecting him to be more than eager to take off when he was given a free lane, but I thought he would be really, really affected by contact. And he really wasn't, uh, he was able to absorb it and spin the ball off the glass or finish over guys or sidestep around them or hang and finish with a reverse. So that, that part I thought was really, really encouraging. And, you know, a couple of years from now when he's closer to 200 instead of 170, I, I think he could be a, deadly deadly score um he but you know given all of that he's definitely one of these guys that you can tell has always been just a much much better athlete than most of the guys he's played against um he's out of control a lot on offense uh he needs to rein that in his defensive consistency is all over the place. I think I, I have some concerns about that. I, I think there are some, some promising flashes in the G league, but hopefully with better coaching, I, and he has the athleticism to be a multi-positional defender. Um, it, it, as long as he locks in, I, I, I think that that could end up being a strength for him too. Yeah, his body control is exceptional, and that stands out almost as much as his athleticism when watching him scoring around the rim. 
I'm not worried at all about his scoring, honestly. I mean, especially sort of towards the end of his G League experience, where he was basically the alpha and the omega for that team's offense, had the ball in his hands all the time. He was still able to create solid looks for himself pretty consistently, even when facing a lot of double teams. Really, for me, it's just I'm worried about the everything else with him. I mean, that sounds mean, but I don't know of a better way to say it. I mean, he's shown flashes, sure, on the defensive end, but he's never been consistent at all on either end of the floor, but certainly on the defensive end. His passing... Eh, I mean, nothing really to write home about, and it's not like he was passing all that often anyway. I don't know. I mean, I'm just seeing so many different worlds in which Jalen Green isn't much more than a high-volume scorer, and that's really the worry for me with him is, you know, what else does he do on nights when he doesn't have the ball in his hands? And I I think that's totally fair. Um, I, I, you know when you if you you're given 100 possible outcomes you know it might be 60 where he's all he is is this explosive scorer uh but you know for a lot of teams that's kind of what they need what this uber athletic guy who can go out there create his own shot uh you know nearly every possession um i i have a little more faith in his playmaking i, I don't expect him to go out there and average seven or eight assists a game um i think eventually he'll be one of these guys bouncing between three and six assists a game um i i was pretty encouraged uh later in that g league season when kuminga went down and they they had lost a couple guys to the nba for 10 day contracts and green was given the ball and just kind of thrown to the wolves and told go run the offense, go score, go get, go create. And, you know, he, he did, he, you know, not everything was pretty, not everything was super efficient, but he was able to create his own shot. He showed that he recognized, you know, driving kick opportunities. He had some drive and dump uh, possessions, Um, you know, that, that processing speed of, for the playmaking absolutely needs to improve. But I, I think the, the will to do it um, is there. And once he gets more reps, because I don't think that's ever been something he's really been asked to do or look to do. But I think once that improves, I, I think we'll see better results. And, you know, given that I, I view him anyways, more as a shooting guard in the more of a traditional sense where he's not initiating everything. Um, so I, I think that kind of lessens at least in my mind, some of the concerns you may be having. Yeah, I think that if the team that drafts him sees him as a point guard, they're going to be very disappointed, certainly in the first couple of years. Totally agree. So the thing with Green in terms of sort of ceiling and floor, and you've touched on this, but really it's like the ceiling for him is future Hall of Famer and the floor is like Dion Waiters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think worst case scenario, he's a spark plug scorer off the bench. Um, I think best case scenario, and you know, they're they're ludicrous people who watch one game and have compared him to Kobe Bryant. I think that's absurd. But you know, uh, score. I don't think a scoring title or two or three or four is out of the question with him. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a shooting guard. He's exactly like Kobe Bryant, right? That oh, was athletic, the position a, Kobe Bryant Athletic played. shooting guard. Yeah, exact there you go. same person. Yeah. And moving on to an athletic six eight forward with an NBA ready body, who therefore is LeBron James, right? That's how we do this. It's the only way I think we can do it. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> anyway, moving on to. Not LeBron James, but still a great prospect, Jonathan Kaminga. And you mentioned that he got injured and sort of missed the end of the G League Ignite season, which unfortunately limited, you know, both the G League Ignite film on him, but also his opportunity to sort of grow down the stretch of the season in the way that Jalen Green did. But with Kaminga, I mean, he's 6'8", 225, and 
you know, the body is NBA ready, both in terms of size, you know, he probably weighs 20 pounds more than Mobley, which given that he's got a half foot on him is not the best thing in the world for Mobley. But with Kuminga, he's shown flashes of really exceptional passing skill and vision, and he's got a great spin move to get himself open in the lane, and he was able to post up guys and plow through them even at the G League level where you know physically the players are older and you know better developed than say college athletes but the thing with Kubinga it's really just gonna almost entirely end up coming down to what his jump shot looks like and the form looks better on catch and shoots than his high school film but he really is only catch and shooting at this point when he does try and go to a pull up it looks super mechanical it looks like he's thinking through every step of the motion in his head like every single step feels so mechanical for him with the pull up and that's concerning but the catch and shoot jumper it at least looks okay it's just that he wasn't able to hit it at much volume and really that's going to be the swing skill for him at the next level so what i I guess when I watch Kaminga, I get a lot of kind of Zion vibes, not the fact that he's going, you know, inevitable, not the same forcefulness, not the same power and efficiency at the rim, but more so the fact where I don't necessarily trust their jumper at all. And both are at their best when they're attacking downhill and attacking the rim and creating out of that drive for others. And, you know, like you said, he, he's an, He's super strong. He has an NBA-ready body, and I really, really like him when he's attacking off the dribble because he, he's comfortable with the ball, and he can create space with his shoulders and finish through guys and is comfortable around the rim. It's everything beyond the arc that I really, really worry about. And, you know, I, I, I know that we say this with nearly every prospect where oh the shooting's a swing skill yeah but with Kaminga it feels even more prevalent where if if he does become you know a solid reliable consistent shooter his ceiling could be immense and one of the best in this draft if it doesn't I think he becomes pretty one-dimensional and you know largely ineffective on offense yeah the thing with the shooting for Kaminga is it's not just you know he needs this skill to be able to be an effective off-ball player it's that he needs to be able to shoot at least you know only slightly below average to at least have defensives respect him enough to open up the rest of his game because if he's getting 10 feet of space out beyond the three-point arc every single time it's going to be a lot harder for him to drive. It's going to be a lot harder for him to get open guys to kick to, you know, unlike a lot of other prospects where it's like, okay, you know, the shooting is the difference between whether he's going to be able to make it out on the floor or not, you know, whether he's a valuable player with Kuminga, like there are ways in which he can be valuable without the shooting, but it just puts such a cap on his ceiling is I think really the big thing with that for him. Yeah, and his playmaking and ball handling aren't to the level where you want him being that primary initiator every time either. So, you know, if he was this super talented ball handler and passer and creator, that'd be a little different because you could have him bring it up every time and attack out of the pick and roll. And maybe eventually he still gets there anyways. But, you know, the odds are he's not going to be the primary initiator and if he can't be an effective off-ball shooter you know what is he really going to do on offense when he doesn't have the ball and how much is he going to end up clogging and there are different things where you can run him off screens or send him on back cuts or use him as a screener um but if if he can't just do a simple thing of standing in the corner and making an open shot it it's really hard to play those guys. I mean, even if he does sort of reach the primary initiator level, you know, without a jump shot, he's going to be Ben Simmons. And to be clear, Ben Simmons is an all-NBA player, but 
A, a huge part of Ben Simmons' value comes on the defensive end, and it's impossible to project pretty much anyone as that level of defender. But B, you know, even with Simmons being the incredible athlete that he is, it's hard to have him score in half-court settings because, you know, he's only going to get to score off cuts in that kind of setting, or he's going to get put in the dunker spot a lot of the time in those half-court settings. And if you can't reach that kind of ridiculous value everywhere else, I don't know, it becomes a lot harder to be at that size without any sort of shooting gravity. And, you know, with Simmons, part of it also is just that he refuses to shoot, which is an entirely different conversation. But if you're not getting respected out there, even if you are that kind of crazy primary initiator at that size, there is ultimately a limit to how effective you can be in half-court offense. And... I hope we don't have to see that with Kuminga because I don't think you really can put anybody at that sort of Ben Simmons level of the literally everything except shooting. Right. And and Ben Simmons is a a far superior playmaker um, in my mind. And Oh, of course. I just mean that as like the upside, right? Like that's the best he's going to get in terms of being the on-ball guy. Right. And then the, the other thing... I'd say maybe what 70% of Ben Simmons's value comes on the defensive end. And that's something where Kuminga really needs to improve on because he has that body where he could, you know, theoretically be that type of defender where he's just switching on everything and shutting everyone down. But the consistency on that end of the floor with him is so far from that where I worry you know, that combined with his shooting makes him a much bigger project than, you know, most people may realize. And if his shot doesn't end up coming around, like we hope it does, if that, you know, so he stays shooting how he is or worse, because some people do that oddly enough, and the defense never rises, then it's, it could be really disappointing. But if that shooting stays where it is, defense improves drastically he still makes himself an extremely valuable player that can be a force on both ends because he can turn that defense into offense he just really needs to hone in on his mechanics you know from play to play and to be clear i don't think he needs to even be a good shooter he just needs to not be bad right like if he somehow turns himself into a 40 percent three-point shooter we're having an entirely different conversation right but he just needs to hit like 33 to 35 on like three or four attempts a game right it's not like that crazy high of a jump that he needs to make it's just that you know first of all from terrible to okay is harder than from okay to great but also you know it really makes such a difference to at least just sort of hit that baseline for him Whereas, you know, with a lot of other players, it's like, okay, well, he can sort of shoot, but if he could really shoot, that would be a huge plus. For Kaminga, he just needs to sort of shoot. Yeah, and and he just needs to make the defender think about it, where if he's on that strong side corner and his man drives, the defender has to, you know, really think, because if the defender, if his defender hesitates on that dig, you know, he has to think, do, do I help off the corner shooter or do I not, you know, that that's enough time to create space for his teammate on the drive. You know, the defender thinking about, oh, do I have to actually close out on him? You know, if he hesitates, then Kaminga has an open three. And if he makes it one out of three times, that would be awesome. If the defender is, oh, shoot, open shooter, I have to close out, then Kaminga can easily just blow past him and finish at the rim. So that's a really important distinction that you made because, He's not going to be a good shooter, I don't think, and that's okay. He doesn't have to be. Not everyone is. Not everyone has to be, but being okay, being acceptable is really just the baseline of where he needs to reach because it opens up so much for whatever offense he lands in. If he goes to San Antonio and Chip Anglin gets a hand on him, everybody else is in trouble. Oh, well, 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 then he's going to be shooting 42%. So that's why everyone else would be in trouble. <laughs> okay. So before we wrap up here, 
just sort of a quick side-by-side on Green and Kuminga, but also I wanted to talk about the G League Ignite as a whole, sort of, before we wrap up. So let's start with the Green-Kuminga comparison. So it seems like you have Jalen at four and Kuminga sort of a step below him at five, whereas I sort of have the top three as a separate tier, and then Kuminga probably ahead of green so Kaminga four green five for me but i'm curious because based on our discussion it seems like you're lower on Kuminga than the rest of that top five group so i don't know do you think Kuminga is sort of closer to six than he is to four walk me through that yeah so i mean, i have Cade alone at one and then you know we go yeah tier same down here. then we go a tier down to Mobley Suggs I have you know neck and neck at two and three and then a little bit of space but not super far away just because of how high I see the peak of what it could be I have Jalen Green and then a whole nother tier down I have Kuminga um, kind of on his own in that third tier but I, I do think he's closer to six than to four because those top four guys all have I think elite things that they can do that we can easily see translating to the NBA and easily see them carving out significant roles in the rotation, whether that's, you know, only a awesome or like an explosive six man or it's an MVP potential MVP candidate. You know, we can see them in that zone with Kaminga. I think way more has to go right. And he has to figure out way more to his game to reach that level. I'm not saying he can't, he has the foundation to do it. I love his size, great athlete, you know, comfortable with the ball. There are signs that he can do that. I just think more has to go right for him in order to reach that level. That's very fair. I guess my sort of approach slash perspective on this is that I can see a number of scenarios in which Jalen Green actively hurts the first team that he plays for. You know, he plays there for four years and basically all he does is chuck up shots at a really inefficient rate and you know if he doesn't sort of develop more from that point he could actually be the kind of player that hurts his team's chances whereas I just don't think that Kuminga is going to be a damaging player at all it's really just you know can he get that shot to the point where he's a really good player or is he just sort of a rotation piece? Because I think he could be an effective rotation piece just sort of as a guy who has a decent skill level at everything except shooting. Whereas with Green, I could see him being the kind of player that shoots his team out of a lot of games and doesn't play good enough defense to justify it. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm a little less... I I think my concern level with green shot selection and whatnot is a little lower than yours is. Um, And, you know, I guess ideally I see green going to a situation where there's a true point guard, where the temptation of him being that point guard is essentially removed from the conversation. And he's just out there to be a scoring guard and be athletic and, you know, rein in the effort or the energy that he would put in towards creation and instead use that more for defense and focusing on that end of the floor. Because I I think if he does that, I I just expect him to be much more effective. And I, I kind of view his defense and Kuminga's defense in a similar realm where there are these flashes and the potential and the athleticism to be excellent at it. I just think both of them are so far or way too inconsistent on that end where they're missing rotations or, you know, coming up out of their stance or crossing their feet to try and stay with the driver. And I don't see that elite skill for Kaminga yet where I see green being an elite scorer almost immediately. I'm glad that you brought up the point re-fit and teammate situation because I think the biggest difference for me with the top three players in this class in Cade, Suggs, and Mobley versus Green and Kuminga is I think there are just a lot 
more environments in which those top three guys are going to yes. work out. Like, yep. if Cade is playing with a ball-dominant player, you know, Cade should have the ball in his hands more times than not, pretty much no matter who his teammates are. But, you know, he can find ways to be, you know, effective off-ball. If he's a secondary playmaker, you know, he can make good decisions with the ball in his hands, cutting off plays created by the primary guy. I mean, with Mobley, the odds of him being a negative on defense are pretty much zero to me. And... On the offensive end, at the very least, he's going to be able to be like a 33-ish percent shooter from deep as a seven-footer. And with Jalen Suggs, you know, he at 6'4", with crazy athleticism and great vision, you know, it's hard to think of a guard that he wouldn't fit with. Whereas with Green and Kaminga, I think what we see from them, first of all, during their first two years in the league, but... Honestly, even sort of beyond that will depend on what team they end up on and therefore which direction their development takes. Yeah, and, you know, fit can almost be, you know, we we can say that it's kind of like, oh, shooting's a swing skill. We can kind of say that, oh, well, depending on where this guy lands, it can really change it. But I think that's really important for the guys at the top as opposed to, you know, guys late in the lottery or late in the first round or something. I, I think that distinction is really different based on where these guys are going. And, you know, that is really accurate what you said about those top three guys where I, I have no concerns about where they go. You know, it's plug and play essentially if, and you just kind of go with whoever you like more and young guys with like Jalen green and Kaminga, it, it, it's a little more dependent on what their surroundings are. And if, if they are right, you know, I, I don't think bad surroundings will necessarily completely deny elite talent from reaching elite talent, but it can delay it by quite a few years. Like we're kind of seeing with Julius Randall. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. I mean, I think Randall is a bit of a different case just because it's year seven yeah. from him when this is happening, but John Hollinger talks a lot about second draft guys where it's like they didn't work out in their first situation. You know, maybe the expectations were too high. Maybe they had a terrible fit around them and it didn't work. And then year four, year five, they're on a second team. You know, they've been traded or their option wasn't picked up. And all of a sudden they start figuring things out. You know, a lot of that just depends on the opportunity. Like if you're not having the ball in your hands ever in games then spoiler alert you're probably not going to develop your on-ball skills very much if you never get the opportunity and a lot of that is just the expectations that we set on these guys coming out of the draft where oh you're a top five pick you should be a hall of famer and not all guys can do that um i like aaron gordon right now is a perfect example where orlando tried to make him you know a number one guy and that's just not who he is and that's okay. And now we see him in Denver and how he is just thriving and really living in that role um, and really succeeding. So landing spot matters, how you're used matters, coaching matters, all that stuff matters. It just affects different players on a little differently uh, depending on their timeline. All right. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask for thoughts quickly on the G League Ignite experiment, and I'll go first. First of all, anything that takes power out of the NCAA's hands and puts it in the hands of the athletes that are actually, you know, making the entertainment dollars, I'm very, very much in favor of that. And the G League Ignite, it'll be interesting to see what future years of the program look like, where the G League team might not necessarily be playing a regular G League schedule. There was nothing regular about the G League schedule this year, but certainly the Ignite basically functioned as another G League team rather than kind of a barnstorming team as was the original proposal for the team before, you know, the pandemic happened. But I think that Green and Kuminga being seen as pretty clear top five guys, even though they didn't really get the shine of, say, Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga playing in the tournament. Ultimately, as long as those guys go high in the lottery, which by all accounts, they're certainly going to, it's hard to call the G League Ignite experiment anything other than a success. But what are your thoughts on it? 
I, I think it was a massive success. I, they'll likely see two of their players go top five. Um, and, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dacian Nix and Isaiah Todd get drafted as well. I, I'm a little lower on those guys than a lot of other people, but the, it gave them an opportunity to show out, you know, for 10, 12, however many games they played on ESPN. So, you know, not quite the same stage yet that March Madness or the NCAA TV deals are. Um, but it let them play against former NBA guys, guys who are trying to fight to get into the NBA. So it's not like it's a like a rec league and guys are just going through the motions out there. They're out there fighting and they're going up against NBA talent and playing with NBA talent. So, and playing for NBA coaches. So I, I think it's an awesome experience and it's always good to give guys choices. Having choices is a good thing in life. And NCAA isn't for everyone. Overseas isn't for everyone. The G League isn't for everyone. But having that ability to go to your right fit, I think, helps these young kids, you know, really reach their potential a little quicker because they're in the right frame of mind and, you know, their things are hopefully going well because of that. Additionally, it proved to fringe NBA guys that this G league thing is legitimate. And we saw guys get two way contracts out of this, out of the bubble. We saw guys get signed to teams and, you know, people are talking about them. People are watching them where if this G league ignite team didn't exist, no one would have, there probably wouldn't have even been a G league season. So I think this is a massive success for prospects going forward in the future and for guys looking to fight and make their way back into the NBA. All right. Anything you want to plug really quickly before we wrap things up? Uh, updated top 75 draft guide, hopefully coming out this week. Uh, Joey's always swamped because he does important things, and but I'm going to bug him to get that up. Uh, should hopefully, now that work's slowing down some, uh, I'll be able to get Suggs and Mobley uh, end up scouting reports up as well and then we'll just kind of just kind of be going through the draft guide as the weeks go on and i will also have a something on canis hoopus uh, maybe something about anthony edwards defense or kind of how the trio of delo towns and edwards are playing together so words will be on the way All right, we'll certainly be on the lookout for those words, and we will clearly be discussing that top 75 in depth at some point, maybe as early as next week. But for now, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find his work in all of the places he mentioned. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. You can find my written work on hashtag basketball as well, and also at Nets Republic, and you can follow me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. All of my work goes up there pretty soon after I put it out. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com or via Twitter. And as always, thanks so much for listening.